Thank you, Lee. And uh, question out of that song, how does he fill his lambs? Fills his lambs with his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And that's what we're going to see today in Romans 8. So you can take your Bibles and turn to Romans 8. Some of those, it's interesting how some of the songs that we sing usually uh, stick in our brain a certain image of where we were when we used to sing those songs long ago or certain places or whatnot. And, and uh, Change My Heart, O oh God is one of those songs, uh, the one we sang together, not the solo, but the, the ones we sang together. Change Your Heart, O oh God is one of those songs I used to sing uh, to myself <laughs> back even before I met my wife. Uh, I was in a little cabin. Uh, up Raider Creek area and uh, on the old road to Butte and just one of those I had probably two or three CDs uh, that had praise songs on them and that was one of them that I used to listen to and sing and and uh, probably that one and uh, As the Deer were probably two of my favorites back then and uh, still today as well so thank you for that all right so uh, I do have we're going we're gonna to jump into Romans 8. We're going to be in verses 5 through 11 this morning and continue our trip through Romans. But I did want to read a quote, a couple quotes this morning just in lieu of Father's Day. And one of them, this is from a book uh, called Father Hunger. And uh, I'm going to read just part, a little bit of this quote. It says, so what is it then? What is masculinity? Put it simply put, masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. A man who assumes responsibility is learning masculinity. And a culture that encourages men to take responsibility is a culture that is friendly to masculinity. Then he goes on and talks about how we are not in that place uh, currently. And then... Uh, See if I can. There was another one. I think I wrote it down somewhere in my sermon later, but I'll probably end up getting to it. But uh, let's see. <laughs> well, let's escape my mind. Oh, maybe it was on here. Hold on. Oh, there we go. It is right here. So, also from that same book. The main threat against which a man must protect his wife is his own sin. So, interesting quote that I read, and I thought that was a good one. And both in relation to fatherhood, uh, but fatherhood usually begins with becoming a husband as well. And so we have a lot to protect our wives and children against, and uh, first on guard against our own sin. So, anyway, take those to thought to heart and let's jump into Romans 8 where we have been we went into Romans 1 through 4 uh, last time and uh, by way of review there I am going to read 1 through 4 as we read all the way through verse 11 in a moment but we were learning what it means to have the uh, pronouncement of no condemnation over us we were learning to understand what that means and we talked a little bit about who that was Four, that pronouncement of no condemnation. And we also looked at how the truth that God accomplished that for us. 
And he did that by condemning his own sin, his own son, excuse me, in the likeness of sinful flesh, because we couldn't do it by works of the law. So that's where we were in verses 1 through 4. And then this morning, as we get ready to go through this passage, uh, just to turn your mind toward it before we read it, is this is going to be all about the Holy Spirit. And this is going to be uh, how God is going to accomplish these truths in us is through the working of His Holy Spirit. And I guess a, a, a good portion of this section, and not, not just this morning, but continuing for the next few uh, times in Romans chapter 8, you might think about this is our uh, family resemblance. Also, as we think about Father's Day a little bit, but the, the Holy Spirit is going to be how we all resemble one another and are belonging to our Father in heaven, right? We all have genetic traits that have us look like our family, right? Physically here on earth. And some of us are spitting images and some of us have certain traits or, or maybe quirks, how we walk or how we hold our lips or how we talk or mannerisms or such things we have uh, as a part of our family resemblances. But when we are born again, when we are born anew into the family of God, when we are uh, become a part of that family, we are all given the Holy Spirit as we're going to see this morning. And the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, is going to mold us and shape us into our Father's image, our Heavenly Father's image. And it's going to cause us to, he is going to cause us to bear characteristics of the family. And so that's what we're going to see this morning. So I'm going to read, as I typically do, out of the New King James this morning. But then I'm, then I'm going to read um, our passage also in the New American Standard uh, this morning as well. Uh, because I believe that that very literal uh, translation is helpful for this morning. So I want you to hear both of them so you can see the differences there and, and uh, hopefully we'll draw some of that out. Let's begin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made, us, has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And here's our passage for this morning. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. All right, so there's the New King James, and I, and I want to draw this out in, in 5 through 11 now in the New American Standard, and, uh, and then I'll just mention one, one or two little things about the differences there. For those who are, according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are, according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and, and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. All right, and so I wanted to bring that up because as we go through it, we're going to see those that, that in the New King James, they have translated for those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the spirit. But in the New American Standard, I think it's a, a little more emphatic of the, uh, of the condition of our person, of our, of our souls, when it says for those who are according to the flesh, those who are according to the spirit, not emphasizing the, the living necessarily, but the fact of who we are, which I believe is Paul's emphasis in this passage, and we'll talk about that more in a second and why that matters. Paul, to grab a framework, I want to start by trying to grab a framework of this overall uh, point of, of where Paul is, what Paul is doing here. And, and as I started with this family idea or imagery one of the things that keeps coming up in Paul's letter in Romans and in his other epistles is the fact that, like we see, we're going to see in chapter 9, not all Israel is Israel. Not all the Jews are truly Jews. Not all the children of Israel are actually, uh, just because they're a seed of Abraham doesn't actually make them a genuine son or daughter. It's the children of promise that are counted as a seed, as we're going to see in, in, in chapter 9. Paul in Galatians 3, chapter, verse 7, he says, Know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And so, so there is a, a lot of people that call themselves Christians, right? But, not, but don't have the Spirit, as we're going to see here. There are a lot of church folks that aren't true sons of Abraham, right? There's a lot of tax collectors that will be called sons of God, right? There's going to be masses of good people that don't have the Holy Spirit, and there's going to be many, there's going to be many foolish so-called people in this world that are chosen by God to be his special people. There's going to be these family of God, and then there's those, as Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil, right? There is... A huge delineation 
that Paul continues to get at, whether they are Gentiles or Jews, it doesn't matter. What matters is that they have faith in Jesus Christ and that they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Right? We're going to see that. I heard one, peop- one person say uh, that there are three kinds of people in the world. Those that are good at math and those that aren't. So, But Paul talks about two groups of people, right? Two groups of people is what Paul is getting at. And then in that, he is, he is going to say that there are those that are rooted and grounded in the Spirit and those that are rooted and grounded in the flesh. It's more about who you are as a person, where your mind is set. It's more of a description of what the characteristic of these people, this is, this is not trying to describe somehow we get there by doing things, one or the other. That is not the point. And that's why I like the uh, according to in the New American Standard here. Uh, but being according to the flesh or according to the spirit, having your mind set, this, this mindset, you might use words like preferring or inclining towards, enjoying or dwelling on the things of the flesh or of the spirit, right? And so this is speaking about your person and your you as a person are set in one of those ways, right? Now, this we have to keep in mind as we're going through chapter 8 is that a few weeks ago we were just in chapter 7. Right? Which means we all understand that even though we are, hopefully, all of us in this room are set, our minds are set according to the Spirit because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Right? And if, but uh, that should be evident in our lives. But chapter 7 remains that even though that might be true, we're still going to fall into sin. Right? We not, we're not talking about perfection or a, a, a lack of sin we still fall and we fall greatly sometimes but this is going to be uh, the the description of our lives and trying to trying to describe for us here right off the get-go in verse 5 of those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh there's a good picture of that in how Jesus uh, was rebuked by Peter and then, Jesus, and then Jesus rebuked Peter, right? So turn to Matthew 16 for a moment. It's, it's, uh, it, this, the exact same words, phrase, uh, is used by Jesus in Matthew 16. And you have to remember that the apostles, the disciples of Jesus, uh, they were growing and getting there. And... They still kind of fell back into what they thought was best and didn't quite probably fully grasp all that who Jesus was uh, in their time before the cross. And, and uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus is speaking about the cross. 
He's speaking, looking forward to the cross and how he's going to go and die. And Peter gets caught up in his flesh and rebukes Jesus. So let's look at that in verse 23. Well, I'll back up in verse 21. From that, Jesus, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that this should not uh, this shall not happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, and he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Right? And and you kind of feel bad for Peter a little bit. You're like, Woo, wasn't that a little harsh, Jesus? But he's like looking out for your best interest. Uh, and and you know, it's probably motivated by love. Peter's love and affection for his Lord. But it was a fleshly kind of love. It was a fleshly kind of, no, I want to hold on to my friend. Right? I, I'd want to save you from any kind of harm. Not realizing the import and, and the purposes for which Jesus had in mind. And how he was following the will of his father, and this was a godly and, and, the, and the, the greatest thing that will ever happen in all of world history. Jesus And Peter wasn't mindful of that. He was just thinking of a temporal, no, you shouldn't go through any pain. right? But, but his mind was set on the things of men. That's a good reminder to me, right, that some of our so-called good thoughts might be very fleshly and not very godly, not very spirit-filled and spirit-directed. But, but that phrase is still the same. Turn back to Romans, and there are, there are those, Paul is saying, who live or who are according to the flesh. Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, right? If you are, and this is the group that is unsaved, right? These are non-born-again people. They may be very religious. That doesn't matter. They may be very good, quotes, good in terms of the world, but they are fleshly. And even in all of people's so-called good deeds outside of Jesus Christ, are nothing more than fleshly deeds, right? Still rooted in selfish desires, sinful heart desires. And when someone is set that way, they are going to follow their heart. They are going to follow their mind. And they're going to chase after their own lusts, whatever they desire. That is what it means to uh, be having your mind set on the things of the flesh. So, the things of the flesh versus the things of God. The things of God or the things of, I should say, those who according to the flesh set the things of the Spirit, excuse me, who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So, not I said God there a second ago, but when your mind is set on the things of the Spirit, the things of the Spirit are what? Anything that comes from God gives God glory 
anything according to his will, anything that we're going to see later on in in chapter 8, next time, is led by the Spirit of God, right? You might say also, according to the Word of God, which always accords with the Spirit of God, right? Those are those are those things. And then the things of the flesh is leave out that whole list, right? Anything done not according to the will of God, not according to his glory, not according to his word, not according to being from him, right? And, and what's very interesting is verse 5 draws this distinction. There are those according to the flesh, and they live according to the flesh. Those who are according to the spirit, and they live according to the Spirit, right? They're going to work those things out because that's how their mind is set. Then verse 6 says, for to be, and New King James says, for to be carnally minded is death. And, and I'm going to uh, just insert flesh because that word, uh, sarkos, uh, sarke, that word is the same all the way through this whole passage, right? It, there's not a different word here. If you're reading the King James, the New King James, when it says carnal there, it's not a different word. It's the exact same word. So I'm going to, most all other translations use uh, the, the flesh there. and But to be fleshly minded is death. And, and listen to what he doesn't say. He doesn't say for to be car- fleshly minded or carnally minded leads to death. He says it is death. And the same is true on the opposite side. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And, and there's no doubt that being fleshly minded leads to death. Yeah, that's obviously true. But the statement here, it, it, it is death. And that same, that same mindset that Paul is in of those that are according to the flesh or those that are according to the spirit, right? The same is true right here. Fleshly mindedness is death. And it's speaking about the condition of those people, not the consequence of living that way, right? So the condition is death. Those people that are fleshly minded, that are according to the flesh, they are already spiritually dead, right? They are already under the condemnation of God. And the flip is true. Those that are spiritually minded to be spiritually minded is life and peace when you are born again when you are born anew when you have the holy spirit of god dwelling within you you already have life the spirit of god has given that to you granted that to you You have peace right that's that whole no condemnation thing you have peace from god because jesus has won it for you by being condemned for you Right, so this is a condition that he speaks about. Turn to John 3 for a moment. This uh, is, uh, I I love the very last verse of chapter 3 because it's very helpful and clear. And there's a lot of similarities between all of chapter 3 and and here in Romans uh, chapter 8. But the very last verse, verse 36, is helpful to see this condition that we have or don't have. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him presently, right? So you presently have 
life and no condemnation, or you presently have death and the wrath of God is on you, right? It's one or the other currently. And, and we have to just drill that into our minds that eternal life isn't something we just get after we die, right? It's life you have now if you have the Holy Spirit. And, and um, in case I forget to mention this, notice throughout this passage and through chapter 8, more than just this morning, but this interchange that seems to be pretty wonderfully synonymous, and we won't get into all the workings of the persons of the Trinity this morning. It's not the focus, but how this the Holy Spirit is used uh, very synonymously with the Spirit of Christ, and how that goes back and, and forth, and that's a... Um, uh, another sermon for another day. That's another truth that we could talk about another time, of course. But uh, just something to note in this passage. But to be fleshly minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Right? And, and, I, and I continue to think about to Ezekiel and Jeremiah and those promises of the new covenant that we have talked about already, so I won't go there. But, but throughout... Uh, the book of Romans, this is what is being described is that fruition of the new covenant. And a part of that promise of the new covenant is the Holy Spirit, right? Dwelling within, given to us, granted to us, and is transforming us. And um, if that Holy Spirit is making us look like our family, making us look like our father, what is he going to do in us? What's his name? His name is the Holy Spirit, right? He's going to make us righteous. He's going to transform us and make us more holy, right? That is the effect of the Spirit of God dwelling in us. Verse 7. And there are some 7 and 8. Uh, this whole passage, of course, we could spend a long time on each verse, but th there's some incredible truths that probably require a lot of our individual study for in our own personal time for, for years to come, right, here in uh, chapter 8 in all of Scripture, but specifically here, uh, verse 7 and 8. Because the carnal mind or the fleshly mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Right, so there's the, the, if those that are according to the flesh that have set their minds on this world on the like like the book of James in chapter four four uh, talks about right if you're a friend of the world you're an enemy of God you're at enmity with God you're at war with God if you're a friend of this world and here he's saying the fleshly mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So the, the fleshly mind is, in, in your translation or New American Standard, or other, it might read hostility. There's a hostility. There's a hatred against God if you're in the flesh and against his law, against his word. There are... There are so many people that uh, you hear this all the time, all the time. And 
people want to somehow quasi be known as a Christian because they want to go to heaven, but they don't love God's word or they don't, they don't love God's ways. They just don't want to go to hell. Right. But there are so many people that you, that you, this has probably happened to you many times. You share a truth from scripture with somebody and they're like, yeah, but fill in the blank. Yeah, but I think this. Yeah, but I think God is like that. God's not like that, even though you just quoted his word or a truth of his word. I think God is like this. I, I mean, that, you, I can't even count the amount of times people have said that to me, right? As you're talking about some truth. Nah, I don't think so. You're like, I don't care what you think. Like, you shouldn't care what you think unless it lines up with God's word. Like, you have to just stop people and say, you know what? That's a nice sentimental feeling, but that's of the flesh and it's wrong. <laughs> this is what God's word said and it's true. You need to correct your thinking and your mindset to God and his truth. Like, th there's a lot of, you, you get into a lot of problems when you say, yeah, but, in relation to God's word. And there are so many people who claim to, oh, I love God. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus, but they don't love his word. They're at enmity against his word. There's hatred against his word and against his truth, and they have no desire to live according to it because they're in the flesh. And if they're in the flesh, they're not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. They can't be without a work of the Holy Spirit. They need to be transformed from the inside out. There is such an... When your mind, your, your mind is set on the flesh, it rejects the truth of God. And in, you can't separate God's word and God. That, you can't do that. You can't say, I love God, but I don't really like Romans. So th there's this animosity and a hatred against God and therefore his word, his law. And that's the definition of really of the flesh. And why is that so? Why is that like that? Because the flesh, our self, apart from God, hates that God is sovereign and control. The flesh wants to be completely autonomous. You can't tell me what to do. I want to do my own thing. This is what I want. This is what I like. The flesh hates what God loves and loves what God hates. Completely. It is contrary to the spirit. And, and that's a theme that runs through Paul's writings time and time again, right? The flesh and the spirit are just at war against one another. And that's why we have chapter 7, right? Because even though we're in the spirit, we still do battle with the remaining flesh that just wants to take over, right? And that's why we're going to get into it. You got you to starve and feed, right? And you got to put to death. We're going to get into that sanctification. There, there is, that's like where that, that, that little quote from Father Hunger there is guarding our wives and guarding our family against our own sin 
Because it is a battle to not take out your sin on your own family. Right, fathers? We've, we've all done that, unfortunately. And it's sad. And it's a reality that we take out our sin on other people. Because the flesh hates the spirit and the spirit hates the flesh. They're not friends. Right? Another reason that in verse 7 it says, nor, not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Remember last time we also went back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, where it says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Right? In the flesh, you don't love, you don't grasp with, you may grasp intellectual knowledge, but you don't grasp with your heart and your mind and your soul the things of God. They are spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit is who does that in you, right? And that's why, that's why when we just sang, change my heart, O God, we don't sing, I need to change myself, God, right? We say, you, God, change my heart. You do it because I can't. I got no strength. If left to my own devices, it's self-destruction every time. Because it's self-pleasing all the time. And that, and I'm not going to get off on a tangent right now, but that's why I, I absolutely hate psychology. I hate it. I hate all that worldly wisdom with the passion because I see what it does to people. And you see friends that... It's all, I just got to love myself. I just got to take care of myself. And I, what does that lead to? That's just flesh, flesh, flesh. That's not follow the spirit of God. That's not being led by God. That's not being led by his word and denying ourselves. It's all self-consumption, which is self-destruction. It's all sin. Sinful at the core because it's selfish at the core. Verse 8 if you're in the flesh, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're not in the spirit, you can't please him. And this is where people really get upset. And I've told you before, we had, I had a blowout a long time ago with somebody. And, and um, because, you know, when you say really religious people don't please God unless they have Jesus Christ unless they put their faith in Jesus Christ and they're relying upon him, if they're in it and they're really religious and they're really good and they're relying on their own works, it doesn't please God. He's not pleased with all of these so-called good works unless they're done in Christ, in him, for his honor, for his glory. We cannot do it. And, and, and that language just screams bondage to sin right verse 9 but you are not and so so here's where paul is saying okay guys i'm giving you the truth and it's hard and it's real and it's wonderful truth but here's the deal you're you're he's speaking to the romans and he's saying you're not you're probably not in the flesh but you're in the spirit and then he gives the explanation right and, and this is where the the scripture speaks to us and, and, and ex there's an explanation here, a definition here of, of really what it looks like, right? But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. 
Right? You could camp out on that verse for a long time and all about what it means to belong to Christ. For you to have Christ and for Christ to have you, right? And to be in the Spirit. But being in the Spirit comes from if the Spirit of God dwells in you, right? So to be in the Spirit is not like some people describe as some warm, fuzzy, Holy Ghost shiver thing, whatever you want to describe and hear people say, oh, I got the Holy Ghost goosebumps or something like that. And, you know, sorry if you've said that once or twice or something, but it's like, I don't care if you got a shiver. That's, that doesn't mean anything, right? You are in the spirit if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, if he is in you. And it, this should be evident in your life. Because immediately, as soon as you read verse 9, some people are going to say, well, do I have the Holy Spirit or not? How do I know if I'm born again or not? How do I know if the Holy Spirit of God dwells in me? I've asked that many times in my life. Probably more times than I can count. But the truth is, is that the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, your mind, as we already read, is going to be set on the things of the Spirit. Your life is going to be dominated, controlled by the Spirit of God. That doesn't mean you don't sin. I'm not going to go into that again and again. But dominated, controlled by, you're going to love God. You're going to love his word. You're going to love his ways. And you're going to follow him. It should be evident in your life that your life has changed to be more like your Father in heaven. Right? If you look not like your father in heaven, you have a good reason, as Paul says in the end of 1 Corinthians, to examine yourself, to see whether or not you're really in the faith. If your life looks like the flesh, and your life is dominated by the flesh, there's a good chance that the Spirit of God does not dwell in you. Right? And, and that is what this text is all about. You're not in the flesh if... In, if uh, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And, and we'll drop down to verse 14. It's not in our passage this morning, but, but it describes this very well. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. Right? True son or daughter of God is led by the Holy Spirit. Right? And, and you should know that voice, right? Delineated from your own voice that you try to speak to yourself, right? You should be able to understand my, I can understand my fleshly voice and my sinful voice in my heart and mind, right? I, I know that one, right? And, and the Holy Spirit is saying, no. That's sinful, that's wrong, get off of that. Right? That is not the right way to go. This is the way to go, this is the right way, this is what was pleasing to your father, this is the way you need to walk. Right? I know that voice, and that is a battle. Right? But you cannot be a Christian if you don't have the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 10. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Right? So, so here Paul is, is helping us to understand that, you know what? And he's going to talk about mortal, uh, mentions mortal bodies in, this, in the next verse, uh, which you could read together real well. But um, even though we're born again, we're still going to die, right? Our body is still going to die. We all know the feeling that our body is getting closer to it as we get older, right? Like, it hurts a lot more as we get closer to the grave. But it groans as we're going to see more also, right? But our body, our flesh, uh, uh, our physical mortal bodies, which is why the translators are doing this a little bit, but is still going to pass away. What Paul is trying to teach us is that God still got us, right? And, and there in verse 10, he's saying, and if Christ is in you, right? If the Holy Spirit is in you, if Christ is in you, the Spirit of Christ, here's that interchangingness. If the, if, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And, and that is certainly Christ's righteousness right there. This is still matter-of-factness. Right? This is still who you are. This is still condition here. The Spirit is life, right? The Holy Spirit is a life-giving Spirit. And when I think about this verse, I think about Genesis 1. I don't know about you, but I think about Genesis 1 and how the whole, every person of the Trinity, the three persons of the Trinity were involved in creation, right? The Son created, the Father was creating, the Holy Spirit was creating. It's just, they're working together, but the Spirit was what, hovering over. It, the Holy Spirit is a life giving spirit. That's right. It says in chapter three of John, right? It's, you need to be born of the spirit, right? The spirit gives life. He is the spirit of life. And, and here your body is, is dead because of sin, right? You're still going to go to the grave. You're still mortal. You're still fighting sin, but the Holy Spirit that's dwelling in you, Christ dwelling in you is life. His righteousness is over you and I. Right? And we'll get into further on the Spirit and how he's going to work that into us as well, practically. But, verse 11. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Right? So, so the Holy Spirit, when Christ died on the cross... Who brought him back to life? It's the Holy Spirit. His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, came and resurrected Jesus Christ. Right? If this, and if Christ is, excuse me, um, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead, and he is in you, what's going to happen when you die if you're in him? He's going to raise you, right? So, so one of my favorite passages is chapter 1 of Ephesians, right? I probably mentioned that before, 3 through 14. One of the most powerful passages in the scriptures. And, and what is the job of the Holy Spirit there? What does he do to you? I heard it. He seals you. Right? 
He is a seal upon your life. You were bought with a price. You belong to him. Right? If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You belong to him. He's going to give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's an incredible promise that goes right hand in hand with verses 12, 13, and 14 of chapter 1 in Ephesians. The Holy Spirit is your guarantee. He's going to raise you back to life because he dwells in you. He, if you are in Christ, he should be dominating your heart and your mind and controlling you and, and showing you how to love God and to love his ways and to walk in them. Right? And that's a beautiful thing. Let's just close with that. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. There are so many things that we could spend time on here in Romans chapter 8. It is an incredible chapter, and we're very thankful for you, through your Holy Spirit, penning these words through Paul. Father, we're thankful that as we look to your word, as Peter tells us, that Scripture never came by just man. But as your Holy Spirit moved them, they penned Scripture. Scripture originated through 100% the Holy Spirit and 100% man in that wonderful combination. So, Father, we know that we can trust it. We can, we can depend our very souls on your word. And we can use it as this light and beacon and truth that governs every moment of our lives. Father, we just we thank you for your promise of hope through the giving of your spirit. We're thankful, God, that when you wanted to give us the greatest thing, you gave us yourself in Jesus and through his spirit. Father, we're thankful that we can have such promises that just guarantee no matter what this world brings and how much pain it involves, we have life and peace already. So, Father, I, I just pray that we would be good servants, submissive servants to you, that we'd be slaves of righteousness, that we would love to follow you as our Father. We're thankful that we have a good Father in heaven. Father, we just ask that our lives would depict that to others, that they would come to trust in you as well. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.